morning again. Take your Bible. Turn to John chapter 21. It's the fourth book in the New Testament in the last chapter. And so uh, we're going to be in that for the most of our time together this morning as we begin part two of a teaching series called Driven. We started last week talking about gospel-driven living or what is the gospel-driven life and kind of give a little context around that is that we believe here, and I'm convicted of it as well as I read scripture, is that the gospel is not just about salvation, even though primarily and as a priority, we need Christ in order to go to heaven. And we need Christ in order to be forgiven, and that is the gospel. That's the good news, is that Jesus comes to radically save broken people. However, many of us stay in that position for the rest of our lives, and we don't apply the gospel day in and day out. Does that make sense? Because the gospel is much, much more than just your salvation and a means toward salvation. Gospel-driven living means we take that message and we apply it to our own lives and how we live our lives and how we do our parenting and how we have our relationships and how we do business and how we react to other people. And so over the next three weeks, we really laid our foundation last week, and you can check that out on our podcast. For the next three weeks, today and two more, we're going to be dealing specifically with application and what it means and what it looks like to have a gospel-driven mentality, a gospel-driven life. And this morning, we're going to be focusing on a really inward subject, and that's really how the gospel heals us and how we take that ministry of healing and begin to apply it to other people. Now, when I say that word healing, the first thing we tend to go to is physical healing, correct? That's the first thing we think of, and that has been sensationalized on television, but we obviously read it in Scripture, Jesus healed people. Now, he healed people not just, for them, not just to heal them physically, but also as a representative of, a rep- to represent his power, that he was God, that he is God, that he was Messiah, that he is a Messiah, and to demonstrate that he had the power to do that. And then he gave that same type of power to his apostles in the book of Acts as they started that church to demonstrate that they had the authority of the person sending that message, namely Jesus to go and do these things, and therefore they were speaking God's word. That's a lot right there, right? But what I want you to understand is healing is just not unique to the Bible. When we talk about physical healing, we've seen it before, agreed? And God can still do that and does still do that. We've seen modern medical uh, miracles happen. This past week, my wife uh, was not here with us last week. She's here today. Uh, She was with her sister uh, at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. Her sister had cancer years ago. The cancer had come back according to her numbers, but when they got all the scans back, she's completely cancer-free. We see that as a healing. But I want you to understand something. When we talk about healing this morning, we're talking about the wounds that we carry because of sin, because of others sinning against us, because of issues that we have, and how the gospel uniquely heals that. And how it becomes our hope, becomes our strength, becomes our peace. You follow me on that? And so this morning as we dig deeper into that reality and we begin to understand that, I don't know about you, but I feel like I would rather have an emotional healing at times way more than a physical. Because the reality is, let's just be honest, you're going to die one day. Right? Just go. I'm, I don't know if I spilled the beans too far on that. I don't know if I shocked you. <laughs> really? You know, yes, you will. But you will live for eternity with Jesus if you know Christ. But here's the thing. God begins to heal us spiritually from those wounds that we deal with. 
Now, there's a healing we experience because of salvation. He forgives us of our sins, and we need to have that reconciliatory healing. But there's also a healing that we get to experience day in and day out. And then, even cooler than that, we get to express that ministry to other people. Follow me on that? That's part of gospel-driven living. It's just not holding it to ourselves, but also expressing that to others. Let me give you an example. You've heard me tell this story, share this story before, but I'll share it again. Years ago, Sarah Beth and I started a church in Louisiana. Most of the people, I think the average age was like 28, 27 in that church, so my age now. And so all those people, all, you'll get that later. All those people in our church, uh, they stayed up really late at night, so we stayed up really late at night. But we were so proud. We were in our mid to late 20s and uh, pastoring a church and starting a church in this collegiate town with a lot of younger folks and had our first home, which was probably, right, Sarah Beth, smaller than our first apartment, uh, really small home, but it was ours. We were proud. I, I had my own yard for the first time, and that's my kingdom. And it was great because it took 30 minutes to cut it, trim it, edge it, plant it, fertilize it, water it, everything. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That's a blessing, right? And so everything was great. Uh, we were staying up late one night, and we were pregnant. Now, let me, let me stop there. We ain't never been pregnant. She's been pregnant twice, okay? And, uh, and, and sometimes when you're married and your, your wife's going to have a baby, we like to, well, we're pregnant. Listen, dude, men, you ain't never been pregnant. And if you have, you go to Ripley's. You're an encouragement to her. You're the reason she's pregnant. But here's the thing. Understand this. Understand this. You ain't carried no baby. So Sarah Beth was pregnant, and I was giving her a foot massage because of her foot. You know what I'm talking All that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, midnight, knock at the door. Open the door up, and there's two young ladies that are in our college ministry, one sobbing. The other one was a roommate who brought her to us. We brought her into our house, and her roommate began to tell the story. And in between sobs, she was able to fill in commentary. And basically what had happened is a young lady who was crying had been seduced by a professor, gotten pregnant, and he manipulated her to get an abortion. It was just, she was just broken. Just, she just felt horrible, like a horrible person. She felt like, she felt stupid. You know what I'm saying? She felt and had all these wounds on her because of mistakes that she had made and because of what someone else had done to her. And in that moment, my wife prayed with her, cried with her, and then for the next six months to a year met with her. And we began to see something happen in this young lady's life where the gospel began to do a work, began to do some healing in her. To where ultimately, two years later, she's leading our largest life group. And then a year after that, I stood on the front porch of her great-great-grandparents' house. It was a historical monument in the town she grew up in and performed the ceremony for her and her husband. Now, what we see in that picture, and when I begin to think about the gospel-driven life and the ministry of healing, is we see a Christian applying the gospel, and we see a believer being healed by the gospel at the same time. You see that? For those of you who know Jesus, you get to experience it, and you get to apply it. So what we're going to do this morning, and there are countless people in Scripture that we can study, but I want to study the person of Simon Peter. Um, and we're going to be in John chapter 29, and we're going to scatter here and there in the book of John and look at different parts of his life. Um, and he is a guy that was broken and experiencing, experienced the gospel-driven power of healing through Christ and was able to later on apply that to others. And so let's notice some things about him. Go to John chapter, really going to start in verse 18, but uh, we're going to spend most of our time in John chapter 21. Uh, Simon Peter, we talked about him before was the leader of all the disciples. He was the oldest of all the disciples. He wrote two books in Scripture. Guess what their names were? Come on, Christian. 
close, 1 John and 2 Peter. You're, thank you for being bold because the rest of these yahoos aren't. Now, here's the thing. Um, is, is 1 Peter, 2 Peter, that's their name. And so as, as Peter uh, uh, was used by God, did some great things by God, um, he was a fisherman. He was a blue-collar guy. And like most of us who are blue-collar guys, he had what we call foot-and-mouth disease. Do any of you guys struggle with that phenomenon? And you kind of, just raise your hand. I know the guy that's saying happy birthday, Scott Dakin does. And so it's just kind of like, have any of you guys who, I mean, but let's just be honest. How many of y'all have foot and mouth disease? You say the wrong thing at the wrong time at the wrong person. And it's like in your brain, it's like filter engage. Filter engage. And like the computer in your brain says, no, malfunction, system error, will not engage. And you say it anyway. Simon Peter was that dude. And there's several times in scripture where he stuck his foot in his mouth. But more than that, guys, he was a guy who loved Jesus. He was passionate, he was bold, and later on he became gospel-centered. But there's some things about him that we need to understand because he was a guy who was very much a broken man. And we're going to look at one instance in his life, John chapter 18, we'll throw it up on the screen because one of the things that he did and what he's famous for is he denied Christ three times. Now, let me give you the context here. It says this, Meanwhile, Simon Peter was standing there uh, warming himself, so they asked him, you aren't one of the disciples too, are you? And he denied it, saying, I am not. Now, if you remember, when Jesus was arrested and brought before the authorities, Simon Peter followed at a distance after he promised Jesus that he would never leave him and even die for him. And Jesus looked at him and says, Peter, before this night's over, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Now, notice what happens next here. Verse 26, one of the high priest's servants, a relative of, of a man whose ear Peter had cut off. Now, we'll talk about that in a few moments. Challenged him, and he says, didn't I see you in the garden? And notice what Peter says next. No, again, Peter denied it. In that moment, a rooster began to crow. Peter wounded himself from his own sin and had to carry those wounds. And because of those wounds in his life, Luke chapter 22, verse 62, relays the same story. And it says that Peter went out. And he wept bitterly. Now, the point is this, and you can totally, and I can totally relate to this. Simon Peter, because of his own personal sin, was broken. You ever been there? Everybody say yes. And many of us weep bitterly, not because of what we've done wrong, but because of the wounds inflicted on us by other people. Have you been there? Yes. All of us struggle with this. All of us wrestle with different things. And here's the thing. And I'm going to speak to the men here for a second. We don't like to demonstrate, hey, I'm broken or I've got wounds or I'm vulnerable. But the reality is, dudes, you and I have got them too. They're deep, 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 deep down, and we cover them up with our own masculinity at times. But you and I have got these issues. We respond, we act, we react, we're impulsive, all because of these deep, dark wounds because of our own personal sin or because of someone else. And the reality is we need the gospel to heal that because we find ourselves completely broken and weeping bitterly. Have you been there? Now, when we deal with those types of things, here's what typically happens. Let's go to John chapter 21. and We'll spend the rest of our time there. We may skip around just a few minutes if we have time. But I want you to notice what happens here. John chapter 21, we're going to try to do the whole chapter this morning, and uh, we've got a little time to do it. Notice what happens. 
Now, afterward, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Context here. Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. And he's appeared to the disciples two other times. One was in the garden, of, in the garden after he had risen from the dead, and he met Simon, Peter, and, and John and said, go back. He also appeared to uh, Mary Magdalene. You've heard that before. And then later on, Thomas, who was one of his disciples who didn't see Jesus rise from the dead, said, I would not believe he's risen from the dead unless I put my hands in his side and put my hands in the places where the nails went through his hand. And Jesus appeared to him and the rest of the disciples, and Thomas saw him and fell down in worship. Now, you've got to think, all this time, Simon Peter is at every one of those events. He's got to be like, even though he's the loudmouth leader of the group, he's probably like, mm, I'm going to sneak and stand in the back because I've just denied Jesus two or three times. He said I was, and I said I wouldn't. And I'm just going to stand here and see if he doesn't see me. Y'all ever been there? I mean, can you imagine what this is like for him? And so Christ has appeared to them two times. And here's what happens. By the Sea of Galilee in verse 2, Simon Peter, Simon, uh, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two of the disciples were together. And notice what Peter says. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Now here's the deal. Nothing wrong with fishing. I love to fish. Nothing wrong to have healthy, healthy hobbies. But if we turn all the way back to John chapter 1, the first chapter in this book, we'll find Peter at the same place. He's fishing. Jesus walks along the coastline, and he sees Simon Peter and some other guys fishing. They hadn't caught anything all night. Does that sound familiar? We just read it, right? They fished all night and didn't catch anything. Jesus said, take your net, put it on the other side of the boat. They said, you're crazy, but they did it anyway, and they caught a lot of fish. And then Jesus said, you need to follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And then Peter and the rest of the guys follow him as disciples unto his death. Now, after Simon Peter's denied him three times, he's seen Jesus twice. His point is, what do I do now? And as a pastor, I've seen this countless times, and as a human being, I've experienced this a lot personally, is that when I tend to feel broken or those wounds begin to come open, what I do is go back to where I've been. Y'all there? Now, let's just be real with each other here. We go back to the comfortable spot. We go back to old patterns. We go back to old callings. We go back to old relationships. And our spirituality begins to decrease because we feel comfortable in these places where we know we shouldn't be. may not be a sinful place. Fishing is not sinful. But what Peter's doing here at this moment is he looks at the rest of the disciples and says, well, I really don't have a mission now. I've denied Christ three times. I've seen him twice, and he mentioned nothing about this. Guys, let's go fishing. So they're out on the Sea of Galilee. Now get this. It's so rich, man. Get this. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Ooh, now this has got to seem uh, just deja vu for these guys. Because 18 months to two years before, Simon, Peter, and the rest of these guys are fishing. They hadn't caught any fish. And Jesus says, put your notes on the other side of the boat, put your nets on the other side of the boat, and you'll catch something. Now, Jesus has died, risen from the grave. He's standing on the shore. Hey, guys, you caught anything? No, we hadn't caught anything. Put your nets on the right side of the boat. Now, this time they didn't argue. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Light bulb goes off. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, 
it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say that, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So here's the deal. Simon Peter realizes this is Jesus. The miracle has happened again. He remembers 18 months to two years before. Jesus called him to go be a disciple to follow him. They'd caught a large net of fish. There is Christ risen in all of his glory. He sees Jesus, but instead of waiting for the paddle in, he jumps in and swims to Christ. He gets to the shore. Jesus, now here's an irrefutable biblical fact. At that moment, it's morning time. Christ has made breakfast, and I will fight with you on this. That's the greatest breakfast ever. <laughs> Why? Because Jesus made it, and Jesus is perfect. If there were hash browns, it would be the greatest hash browns. Chick-fil-A, you know, it's just not happening. Now, here's the thing. And this, is, this is just beautiful what happens next. All the disciples are sitting in the circle with Christ, and they're sitting around the campfire. There's so much fish that the nets didn't rip. You'll read that further on in the text. Christ has cooked them a meal. But in that moment, it's just a, just a place of intimacy. It's not an upper room like his first appearance where they're all crowded in together. It's not right before the tomb where Jesus presents himself as risen. They're just having lunch, or they're just having breakfast. And they're sitting around. Now, this isn't in the Bible. This is Chip just making a thought. That must have been really awkward for Peter, right? I mean, he's just denied Jesus three times after he said he wouldn't. And he's sitting there probably just eating his fish, eating his bread, hoping nothing is said. Or maybe hoping that Christ will look at him and say, Peter, I still love you. You see, brokenness does some things to us. And it puts us in our armadillo shell to where we don't move. And last week we dealt with that glass ceiling of spiritual growth and we're not moving forward. And for many of us, the reason we don't move forward is because we have these wounds that we don't let Jesus heal. And guys, the gospel is about your spiritual, personal, and emotional healing. That's what it does. And if we don't get to that place where Jesus begins to put the salve of the gospel on us, not just your salvation, but beyond that, we don't grow. We don't rest. We don't move forward. And we never feel at peace. Y'all been there? Now notice this. I love what happens next. Now get this. They're sitting around, and, and I want you to think. Some people think, they walked away from the campfire. Him and Jesus are walking along the beach. I believe they're all sitting in that campfire circle together, all the disciples in Christ. And here's why. Peter denied Jesus three times publicly. In a minute, you'll see Jesus reinstate him publicly. Okay? Now, get what happens. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And here it is. Simon Peter denied him three times. All this stuff, he's thinking, it won't happen, it won't happen, maybe he won't say anything. And all of a sudden, God looks at Simon Peter, and he asks him this question, Simon Peter, do you love me? But he doesn't just say, do you love me? He says, do you love me more than who? These, all the other disciples. Now, there's a reason he asks this question. This is an important point in this entire narrative, because everything in Simon Peter's life pointed to Simon Peter saying, 
I love you, Jesus, more than anything else. In fact, if you go back in Scripture, in John chapter 13, he tells Christ, I will never stop following you, even if it means I die. Later on, he proves it in John chapter 18, when they come to arrest Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter pulls out his sword and chopped off the high priest's servant's ear. I mean, this dude was passionate. In other parts of Scripture, Simon Peter tells Christ, I love you. He's the first one to ever confess that Jesus is the Messiah. He's all these things. He tried to, think about this, Simon Peter, other than Jesus Christ, is the only other dude to ever walk on water. I mean, this guy is saying, he's boisterous about his faith, and he's saying, I will follow you, Jesus, no matter what. I love you more than these. And then Simon Peter's question to him, Jesus' question to Simon Peter is, Simon, do you love me more than these? Now, underneath that sentence, if we could pull it back, it's, Simon, you've denied me three times. Do you love me now? Are you still as fired up as you were? Isn't that a great question for us today? I mean, we've had some pretty cool spiritual experiences inside of these walls, right? You've had some cool spiritual experiences. Our students just went to camp. We had an incredible kids camp a couple of weeks ago. We baptized adults. We've seen God do some great things in lives in this room. I could, there, there's 200 stories in this room as I look across it. But maybe if we peel back our own spiritual growth, Christ could say, do you still as, are you still as passionate about me as you were then? Are you still willing to lay down your life? Now, I want you to notice how Peter responds here. Notice this. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Now, there's, there's great meaning, and I really want you to hone in. You know that I love you. And I really want you to focus in on those words, you know. We're going to come back to that in a minute. And then Jesus looks at him, and there's the reinstatement. He says, feed my lambs. Now, lambs and sheep are going to be used inter- interchangeably in this passage. And basically what that means is feed the church. Take care of the church. Take, be a pastor, okay? Minister to these people. Now, get what happens next. And then Jesus, he answers him, Jesus looked at him again, and he said, Simon, in verse 16, son of John, now do you love me? Now Simon Peter answered him again, yes, Lord, and here's that phrase again, you know that I love you. And then Jesus looked at him and says, take care of my sheep. Again, there's reinstatement. And then finally, the third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, what? Do you love me? And again, Peter, says, was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he says, you know, uh, he said, Lord, you know, what does that say? Church, look at that. You know what? Let's say that together. I want to make sure you're awake because you don't need to miss this point. You know what? All things. Now get this next. Jesus, you know all things and you know that I love you. Now, we're going to pull, we're going to extract two incredible things here. We're going to give you some application in a minute, so hold on. Peter is asked three times, do you love me? You ever been curious about that? Why? I mean, is that Jesus just pouring out guilt? Is that Jesus just saying, I want you to feel terrible about this? I mean, we've all had the guilt trip before, right? We know what that means, right? No, that's not Christ doing that at all. How many times did did, did Peter deny Christ? How many? Three. How many times did Christ reinstate Peter? Three. You see that? Total redemption. You need to get that, guys. How many times have you dealt with a personal sin that you ain't going to tell anybody about? 
Don't answer. How many times will Christ forgive you? Infinite. That is the beauty of the healing nature of the gospel. As much as you struggle, he empowers you. As much as you sin, he forgives. Isn't that beautiful? But I want to go, let's, let's, let's just keep digging. Take your, take your shovel out. Let's dig a little further here. Let's go to that last passage we just read. The third time, he asked him, Simon Peter, you love me. And then notice what happens here. Peter was hurt, right? He was hurt. But I want you to notice Peter's response here. That third response is, is Lord, you know. We've dealt with that already, right? I told you to remember all things. And you know that I love you. Now, here's, here's what's beautiful. Peter realizes something at that moment. When he says, Lord, you know all things, and you know I love you. Peter didn't look at him and say, Jesus, you know I love you. I'm going to scale Mount Everest for you. Jesus, you know I love you. I'm going to attack Jerusalem and take it back for your glory. Jesus, you know I love you. I will die for you. Nope. His faith now is based not on his knowledge of the Creator, but the Creator's knowledge of him. You get that? Listen to me. It's not based upon the works that you and I present to God. All that good stuff and even all that bad stuff is based upon the works that Christ has presented to God. And said, I have taken the punishment for this person. I have risen from the dead so they can live forever. You get this, guys? This is beautiful here. Jesus is doing something in Peter's life, and hopefully he's done something in your life to where he's saying, it's not about you proving it, it's about me knowing you. Your identity changes. Oh, man, this is, this is so good. And this is the gospel-driven life where Christ steps in and says, I'm not just going to save you, I'm going to heal your wounds. It's not about what you've done. It's not about how you're struggling through what you've done or how people have wounded you. It's about me and the saving grace I offer you. I love this passage. I love what he's doing with Peter here because I can relate to this dude. Can you? Because in my mind's eye, and in my actions, I deny Jesus constantly. Now, a few more things here, then we're going to get to some more specifics. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he says, very, very truly, I, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. And basically, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death, death by which Peter would glorify God. He's saying, you're going to be crucified, and... Peter was crucified later. Then he said to him, what is that? What are those two words? Follow what? Me. Now, let's go. If you could go back, we don't have time, but go back to John chapter 1. Jesus looks at Simon Peter. He's standing on the boat, and he looks at Simon Peter, and what does he say? Follow what? Me. Do you see this happening here? One is a call to follow. One is a call to faith. And Peter experienced life-changing faith in that minute. And Christ said, follow me. And this is not a follow me around Israel as I perform miracles. This is a follow me in the cost of discipleship. Follow me in the price of healing. Follow me in the application of healing, like we're going to talk about in just a few moments. And he exhibited that in his life and in the books of First and Second Peter. This is what Christ does. But here is what happens next in our own mind's eye. We get this, we get our purpose, and we find God doing things in our life, 
But then the enemy begins to attack. And immediately we see this in Peter's life. Get this. Peter turned, verse 20, and he saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the one that leaned back against him, Jesus, at, at supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Isn't that like us? Lord, what about this person? I'm following you, but you seem to be blessing this person over here. Lord, I'm feeling good, but look at this person over here. They're doing so much better. They're better parents. Their kids are better. They're richer. They've got more help. They've got more happiness. They've got a better car. They're pastors, but whatever it may be. But isn't that what we do? Y'all, y'all with me on this? The comparison bear, bear jumps out and jumps on our back. It makes us feel horrible. And Simon Peter immediately looked at John and said, that's who he's talking about. He looked at John and says, well, Jesus, what about him? I love Jesus' response. And I've had to memorize this personally. If I want him to remain alive until I return, I love this next phrase. What is that to you? And you follow me. What is he saying here? My purpose for him may be different than your purpose that I have for you, but that's none of your business. I'm working in your life to do these things, and I'm working in his life maybe to do something different. All for my glory, and when you're on the pathway that God has for you specifically, there's a tremendous amount of peace that comes with that, people. Tremendous amount of peace. Now, how do we begin to build this into gospel-driven living how do we begin to experience that healing that we talk about and then express that to others three thoughts here christ gives something to peter he gives something to us and this is what peter experienced and this is what we experience first thing christ gives redemption he redeems us he sets us free from our sins and he heals us so that we can experience life eternally you've got to know jesus people you can't play church. You've got to know Christ. You've got to ask him to come in your life forgive you. You won't make it to heaven unless you know Jesus, period. You've got to have that redemption, and that's what Peter experienced at the, at the fire. That's what you and I can experience today. Second thing is this. Jesus reframed Peter, and he can reframe you and I. And what I mean by that is we go back to that phrase where Peter says, Lord, you know all things, and you know I love you. It's not, it's not, your identity is not based upon what you've done wrong and what you do. It's based upon who you know, and that's Jesus. And when you begin to reframe your life, you can be saved and never get this. But you, when you reframe your life around the principle that Jesus knows you, and that's your identity, things change, people. Things change. I mean, get this. I mean, if you're a believer here today, I want you to really understand what I'm saying here. When your identity is not based upon your past, but based upon your future. Things change when your identity is not based upon your sin, but based upon Christ's righteousness. Things change for you. I mean, I'm not saying you're gonna, everything's going to be hunky-dory, but I'm saying your brain changes. You see things differently. Has Christ reframed you? Are you allowing Christ to reframe you? You've got to look at it differently. Third thing is that Christ reinstates. He gives you a purpose. I don't know what your purpose is. I wish I could tell you. I wish I, I mean, I wish you could come to the office tomorrow morning and I could sit there and go, your purpose is this. Man, we'd have a line all the way to wind it. That's something you and the Lord and possibly a wise Christian are going to have to sit down and just hash through and figure out. 
But here's the thing. Regardless of your brokenness, he has a purpose for you. He still uses you. He still used Simon Peter. And there's other places in Scripture where Peter messed up again. But he still used him. And he still has a plan and a reinstatement for you. And regardless of your issues, your salvation and your identity is greater. See, the healing power of the gospel, it redeems you. It begins to heal you, and it begins to use you. You hear that? It redeems you. It heals you. And then it uses you. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So let's wrestle with a couple of specific applications, okay? And I'm going to go over today. I don't apologize. Here we go. This is my birthday. Here's the thing. A couple of thoughts. The first one this. You have to begin with Jesus. You have to begin with Jesus. You've got to know Jesus. Before any of this stuff can happen, before the healing can happen, you've got to know Christ. And so if you've come to this place in your life where you've never accepted Christ into your life, you, may, you don't have to understand it all. You don't have to clean yourself up. But you've got to begin with Jesus. And so ask Christ to come into your life. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that on your Connect card or with me in just a few moments. The second thing is simply this. Preach to yourself. You should be the greatest preacher in your life. You know that? You need to get alone in your car, and as you're struggling with some of these things that you struggle with, you preach to yourself. You stand in, you stand in your living room, and you tell yourself, I am God's child. I know what Zephaniah 3.17 says. Memorize that scripture. It says at the very end, notice what it says here on the screen in just a moment. It says at the very end, it says, it says God will rejoice. I love, literally, that means he will dance over you with singing. When you think to yourself, hey, I am nothing. I am not worthy. God doesn't love me. You catch that thought. You sit down and you develop a sermon and said, God rejoices over me with singing. I am one of his children. I am dearly loved by him. I am his child. God loves me and that's who I am. And I stand in grace knowing my identity is being refamed in Christ. You get that? And you think to yourself, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Rememorize that verse and you preach that to yourself and it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is not I that live, but Christ that lives within me. All of the sin, all of these shortcomings, all of these issues are laid bare on the cross. Jesus took the punishment. I don't have to deal with his consequences anymore. The healing can happen because Jesus is alive. You preach that to yourself. You be the greatest preacher in your life. You sit alone and you tell yourself, I am a follower of the king. I am a child of God. I am redeemed. I will meet him in the clouds one day and he will be mine and I will be his. I will feast at the banqueting table of God because I know Jesus. You follow me on that? I'm a little passionate about that. Do you know Jesus? Are you willing to sit down and you say, I will be the greatest preacher in my life? Preach these things. Tell yourselves these things. Third thing, kill comparison. Some of you are so wrapped up, and I struggle with this as well, with comparison. you got to kill it. you got to memorize that thought, what he told Peter. What's that to you? You follow me. You get it? You follow me. Next thing is simply this. Recognize and break patterns of sin. And you may have to go way back for this because some of us, and we don't have time to really struggle through this this morning, some of us have patterns of sin that date back to our great-great-great-grandparents. And we've never broken those patterns. 
And some of us are dealing with some things that generationally, and you're even passing it on to your kids, that, that you, you aren't dealing with, and now they're going to struggle through this. And what I'm telling you is you need to break these patterns. You need to decide, okay, this is the moment where I need to work through this. I need to talk with my pastor. I need to pray through this. I need God to reveal it to me, counselor, whatever it may be. But I need to start breaking some of these patterns, some of these thought processes that I have, so I don't struggle anymore. Break patterns of sin. This is where healing happens because most of our hurt is from sin. And the last thing is this, and this is a more outward expression. Seize the opportunity to apply the gospel. And what I mean by that is the gospel-driven life, this ministry of healing that we talk about, is something that's inward, but it's something you can apply outwardly. I'll give you an example. Many of you are married in this room. All of us have known people or maybe dated someone or had a close relationship, a sibling or whatever. But I truly believe that where two or more gathered in one home, there's going to be conflict eventually. Would you all agree on that? And I don't know. My wife and I are way beyond this because we're much more spiritual than you, but we never argue anymore. I just lied, okay? <laughs> but, but, but those of you who are married or have been in a close relationship before, have you ever had an intense conversation? Y'all with me on it? Everybody say yes, you have, right? What if, let me throw this at you, what if, and this is any relationship, what if, as the other person is dealing with their brokenness and hurt and just giving you a tongue lashing, you chose to apply the gospel of ministry of healing here and, and place that in the conversation rather than your own brokenness? You see how this works? What if in your life group, if someone is in pain, that you took that ministry of the gospel of healing and began to minister to them through that? We had a life group here one time. Somebody couldn't make their mortgage payment. Everybody in the group pulled together and took care of it for that month. That's the gospel of healing. What if you did that? How would that change? How would that change the relationships around you? Can I just say it would be unbelievable, wouldn't it? took these principles and said, I'm going to apply it. I'm going to seize that opportunity. Uh, a couple weeks ago, my uh, family and I, we had family movie night. And they range anywhere from, uh, my kids are getting older now, but it, it has ranged anywhere from Finding Nemo to Harry Potter. I would like to say we watch just pure flicks every Sunday, every week, and that's all we watch. And they have to pray. Or, no, no, man, we like entertainment, so we're going to get the best movies. But uh, we do watch Christian movies at times. And one of the greatest ones we've seen is a couple weeks ago called I Can Only Imagine. Have you heard of that movie? Great movie. You've heard the song at least. And my family and I watched the movie, and I'm just going to ruin this whole movie for you. Um, I'm sorry. I don't really care, though. That's what the good thing about being in Jesus is. And anyway, so, uh, and so as, as we watched this movie, um, it tells a story about how they wrote the song. Any of y'all seen this before? It's a great movie. They, how they wrote the song I Can Only Imagine. And the guy, the main character, the guy who wrote the song, and this is his true story, uh, had a father who was just a monster, would beat him, uh, just verbally abusive, physically abusive, just, just a monster to grow, grow up with. And at a young age, the, the, the songwriter, singer, came to know Jesus. And uh, uh, the movie depicts this, and I'm sure it's much different in real life, but he was given a journal at, at church camp, and the pastor up there said, I want you to write these words down, today I forgive blank, and one day you fill that in. So the kid, 13 years old, wrote down, today I forgive blank, and never filled it in. Went back home, and for the next 10 years, dealt with beatings, dealt with harassment, but yet had a calling upon God, on, got calling of God on his life, 
and you know, knew Jesus and began to go out and sing and tell people about Christ and all those things. And one day he felt convicted, I need to go home and see my dad. But something had changed about his dad. Something was different. And through his dad listening to him sing on the radio and through different radio stations, his dad came to know Jesus and totally changed. Now listen to me. When somebody like that changes, it is only God that can do it. And God did it. But for the writer of the song, the wounds were still there. Now, many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You're carrying on. I mean, some of you guys, you know, uh, 50, 60 years old, and you've got wounds from childhood that are still very raw. They're still there. Even though that person's life may have changed, they're real, aren't they? And so as the writer processed all this, met with his father, God was doing something in his life too. Not only had God saved his father, he went up to his room, dug out his old journal, and opened up to the page where he wrote when he was 12 years old, Today I forgive, and he filled in the blank, my dad. Hear me on this. Only, only the gospel can make those types of things possible. Only the gospel can change us in those ways. But are you allowing him to do it? Be the vessel that applies the gospel and be the vessel that has the gospel applied to them. When I imagine that my life would be like if those wounds are completely healed, and I'm still working through a, a truckload full of wounds, guys. I imagine a life of is really one word for me, just peace. You with me on that? Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine how the gospel changes you when we begin to apply that? Be gospel-driven and imagine what Christ will do. You may be here this morning, you don't know Jesus. Here's your chance to respond to him. On the connect card you were given, check the box that says, I need Christ. Text the number, respond, number on the screen and text the word respond, or I'm going to be off here to write and I'll be able to pray with you. For those of you who are believers, it's time to take that next step. On the connect card you were given, there's something that says, I need a phone call from the pastor. Hey, guys, I want to meet with you. I want to help you, put you in front of the right people that can help you. But let's begin to experience that healing. I'll be over here to my right to pray with you during this song. Let's, but let's begin to imagine what God can do. Y'all with me on that? When we take the gospel of healing, experience it, and then apply it. Let's pray. Father, you're beyond what we can imagine. You're beautiful in how you reinstate us and how you move in us. And with fear and trembling, we come to you this morning knowing that we need you. Knowing we need your application, Lord. Knowing that we need to apply what we have to others relationally. And so, God, I pray that we'd make those applications. We, I pray that we would take those next steps. I pray that we would begin to imagine what you do. To forgive. To be forgiven. To grow. And to experience the healing that you give. And so, Lord, in these moments, as your spirit works, changes. Whether it be a check on a connect card, a text to a phone number, or meet me down front. Give us the strength to take the next step. Give us the strength that we need to, to experience that peace. Let us imagine that. In Jesus' name, we pray.
Amen.